This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the final 2018 MACRA, the Medicare Access and Chip Reauthorization and Act Final Rule. With him to discuss the topic is attorney Kristen O'Brien. Ms. O'Brien is with the DC-based firm OFW or Olson, Frank, and Weta. Kristen, welcome to the program. Hi, great. Thank you for having me. Ms. O'Brien's bio is posted, of course, on the podcast website. On background, Congress overwhelmingly passed and the President signed MACRA in early 2015. Title I of the legislation sunsets the 1997 Sustainable Growth Rate formula that, had Congress not overridden nearly every year since, would have been used to calculate annual Medicare physician payment updates. MACRA creates two new methods by which CMS will now annually update physician reimbursement. The first is MIPS, the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, and the second is the Advanced Alternative Payment Model, or APM Pathway. In sum, MIPS is made up of a composite score consisting of four measures, quality resource use or cost, clinical practice improvement, and advancing care information, or what was health information technology meaningful use. To qualify as an advanced APM and receive, beginning in 2019, a lump sum 5% Part B bonus payment, clinicians must provide care to a minimum number of bennies or receive a minimum number of Medicare reimbursement tied to care delivery under an advanced payment model. The regulatory or implementation details of MACRA remain substantial. The final 18 rule is 661 Federal Register pages. With apologies up front, our conversation will assume the listener has at least a fundamental understanding of macro programming, programming that begins its second performance year on January 1. Listeners may recall, finally, in June 2016, I interviewed Mara McDermott regarding the proposed 2017 macro rule. So with that uh, somewhat long-winded uh, intro, uh, Kristen, again, thank you for your time. Let's start on the MIPS side of MACRA, and the sure. big issue there are the exclusion thresholds. So uh, based on two, one of two formulas, CMS will exclude uh, a number of beneficiaries from participation. So can you explain what these are? And of course, interested in your view on CMS's need or believe need to exclude uh, this percent. Sure. So. The, the cha- a huge change in the policy for the 2018 year from, from the first year of the program is that more individuals, like you said, will be excluded. They actually um, almost tripled what is known as the low volume threshold. And basically, this means that if you are um, below the threshold, you will not have to report anything. You will not receive any incentive payments, but you won't receive any penalties. You're completely excluded from the program. Um, it was targeted at small providers. So the threshold is essentially if you um, don't have $90,000 of Medicare allowed charges or you don't see 
um, 200 patients. But in actuality, that is a substantial number of clinicians. Um, the estimate is now that um, less than 50% um, of, of, of those that are, would typically be eligible for MIPS will now be fully excluded. And then you add on some additional exclusions based on specialty and otherwise, and it's, it's even greater than that. So the MIPS program now is much more targeted at um, medium to large size practices. The, the effect of this will basically make the program more competitive um, for those practices that typically saw smaller practices having a very difficult time reporting, and they were typically the ones the lower levels and having the, 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 the actual larger penalties. But now the program essentially excludes all those small practices, leaving in a much smaller uh, pool to, to pull from. So this was a big change, definitely, from 2017, and while it was focused to sort of provide relief to small practices, it's really going beyond that and now exempting a huge portion of those that were initially eligible for the program. Thank you. So the exact number in the final rule, CMS estimates at 540,000 eligible clinicians will be excluded in 18. So you did uh, imply what this does to the scoring, so can you explain the effect because this is revenue neutral. Exactly. So since the program is budget neutral, that means the only way people get incentives is based off of who gets actual penalties. Um, so the way they're expecting now that they've sort of excluded this, these small practices are that there's actually going to be very few people that qualify for penalties or that will receive penalties. Um, that's leaving... Since there's only a small number of penalties, that means spreading the incentives is going to be sort of a difficult task, and those incentives are going to be very small. So instead of receiving, you know, these huge add-on payments of 9% or above, that's not going to happen within MIPS. They're going to actually be more likely that even exceptional performers are only going to likely see 1% to 2% increases. Um, and those that that are at the bottom of of the the performance that that are the ones that either fail to report or simply can't meet the the requirements, they're going to receive the full maximum penalty. So that's sort of a a skewed way of seeing how the the penalties incentives are going to be dispersed. So thank you. So you're right. They of course collapsed the score distribution curve by excluding such a large number, and CMS is estimating that a mean the mean update. Uh, in 18, when it could be as high as 5%, will actually be 0.9%. Um, Throw in as well for us what the composite performance score will be for a negative, or rather for a neutral update. So for 2018, um, you have to basically get 15 points. Um, this is an increase from the first year. The first year was a very minimal reporting. It was a three-point threshold. And what those points actually mean, for the first year, all you had to do was report on one measure, either a quality measure or um, potentially even a improvement activity for 90 days, and you would have received a, a neutral payment adjustment. So that was a really low bar compared to what uh, physicians and other clinicians were doing previously in all the different reporting programs. The new threshold is an increase. It's 15 points, but basically you could still earn um, 15 points by just reporting on the quality category and not sort of worrying about any of the other categories. You could get zeros across the other categories, and as long as you simply report an assignment do well, it simply report the requirements of the quality program, you could still meet the threshold. 
Right, so it's slightly, slightly more arduous, uh, 17 over 18. And relative to the 15 points, if you're a small group, you get a what, per, what number of point bonus? Uh, yeah, you get a substantial bonus. I believe it's five, five points. Five points, right, yes. So that automatically right there, um, you know, boosts you fairly high up. Um, like we said, I, I don't imagine there could be a ton of small practices sort of left in the program, but those that do qualify um, will will automatically get this five-point bonus that puts them already in advantage. I think one major problem, though, with the low-volume threshold is CMS hasn't figured out a way to ever incorporate these people back into the program. So they're excluded for now, but it's very unclear if they're going to be excluded in future years. And then in future years, the program gets more challenging. So it's going to be a question of, you know, if these practices ever get included again, and when they do, will there be any sort of glide path for them to join, or will they have to join the program when it's already at full speed? You know, that's an excellent point. Uh, We went from 3 to 15 points, but the maximum score is 100 points, so we're a long way from there. And in the third year, 19, by law, they have to pick a mean or median score of points, so they can't make it up anymore. Uh, So these small groups may be looking at a huge jump in performance to avoid a negative update. So that's a great point. Let's go to the area where they actually did... um, make progress, and that's the cost component. And can you explain that? So initially, they proposed that they were not going to score the cost category. That would be maintaining what they did for 2017. They simply said they didn't have appropriate measures yet, and so they just simply didn't count the cost category, and it was reweighted into your quality score. Um, but the, for the final rule, which people I think did not expect, um, CMS sort of reversed and said, actually, we are going to score the cost category. It's going to be 10% of your overall score, and then quality, instead of being 60%, would now be 50%. Uh, The good thing about the cost measures are they're not administratively burdensome. Um, CMS does all the calculations because they're based on claims, so there's actually no reporting that uh, participants need to do, but they will be scored on um, cost measures, which is a a significant change from uh, the previous program. Thank you. So there are two cost measures that were previously used in the value-based modifier program. But back to your, your earlier point about this has mostly become now a competition between and amongst larger groups. And do you see it as uh, MIPS success largely uh, falling on how you do in cost since it appears everyone will do well under quality? So that, and that's definitely cost becomes more and more important over time. So it's only 10% now, but in 2019, by statute, it's required to be 30%. So yeah, cost is going to be increasingly more important. Um, I think that the other big question for the cost category is they plan on eventually developing, in addition to these two measures, episode-based measures. But these are brand new measures. Um, there's been a lot of discussion in developing them, but they've never been tested. They will be unfamiliar to all practices. So it's a really a question of will those episode measures um, accurately depict cost? Will there be a problem, as there has been in the past, with sort of episode-based measures on, you know, targeting physicians or, or clinicians that see a sicker population or more high-risk individuals. So there's a lot of questions about how the cost measures are going to look in the future. And again, it's going to be a more important part of your score. That's a great point, whether these episode-based cost measures really poorly reflect, if at all, uh, risk adjustment or um, the fact that some uh, physicians see healthier patients versus others. Let's 
Let me, we did mention the quality component. You did mention the percent of its contribution to the composite performance score. There are 270 measures from which you can uh, select. What's your sense of how discriminating how quality will be in accurately assessing performance? So quality still remains the, the major portion of your score. However, I think most practices feel comfortable with the quality reporting size uh, side of the scoring. They, a lot of these measures were from the, the previous PQRS program, and they're sort of familiar with how to pick. Um, the, again, it's, it's a question of your performance within the quality measures is going to be judged against others in the program. And so some of these measures are becoming very competitive. Everyone's using them, and they, there are high performance rates on them. And, and those are sort of what CMS calls topped-out measures. Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be definitely, uh, if you rely on using those measures, that's going to be challenging for you because since everyone's doing so well, you, you actually don't earn as much credit, even if you um, report on those measures and are, are doing performance because of the sort of like comparison that they do within the, the measure framework. Yes, thank you. In fact, uh, CMS did get a bit stiff on this in that if you pick a top-down, they'll only give you a max of 7 out of 10 points. So they're trying to obviously discourage people from picking out those measures, although interestingly, 40% of all the measures are topped-out. So, and it's going to be a question of how soon CMS sort of takes those measures entirely out of the program. So they're basically giving you a warning. We're reducing the points first, but our next step is going to be to completely remove them, and then you're going to have to report on different measures. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the amount of money, um, but beyond collapsing the distribution, meaning the mean updates 0.9, uh, this is a small amount of money in the MIPS pool in sum, correct? Yes, yes. All right. Uh, thank you. In fact, I'll note that um, this year, in 2017, actually, the reporting burden, which CMS is by law required to estimate, that the reporting burden is estimated at twice the reward. So the reporting burden is at $1.3 billion. The reward is at uh, close to $700 um, Million. Let's go to uh, the APM side. So again, these are uh, if you participate in an advanced payment model, that's defined as an advanced payment model, and you meet a threshold, you can qualify for a 5% bonus. Um, could you give me just a general overview of how the APM side works, number of models, for example, how many participate, etc.? So there is um, only advanced alternative payment models qualify for that additional 5%. Mm -hmm. And so CMS actually comes out and identifies um, specific model types that would qualify. So for 2017, for example, only certain ACOs, the more advanced risk-based um, risk ACOs qualified. Um, and that, that would secure you to do 5% um, additional payment onto your Medicare payments for Part D. Um, basically, the APM side is a very small pool at this point. Um, even for 2018, um, CMS states that it thinks it's going to double the participation right, in right. these advanced models. But in reality, there were so few that were in 2017, doubling it still isn't an extensive amount. And the way they increased participation wasn't to really loosen up the requirements. They just 
added a couple additional models and then maintained many of the policies they had for 2017. So, for example, for 2018, they're going to allow the ACO Track 1 Plus model to qualify, mm -hmm. and then they also allowed the um, comprehensive primary care model to qualify. But again, we still expect, um, while this increases some participation, the vast majority are still going to be within MIPS, and only a few are really going to qualify for the advanced APM side um, at this point. Yes, thank you. In fact, uh, interestingly, in 2016, on the ACO program, not the demonstration, in 2016, that would mean track two and three, and there are a whopping 22 provider groups in some in both uh, track two and three, 432 in some in, seven, in 16 in the ACO program. Uh, that means that 410-odd were uh, in track one, and track one doesn't count since they're not uh, an ACO at risk. Let me ask you, um, one thing that they did, um, interestingly, is in 19, they will allow other models under, quote-unquote, other payer to uh, contribute to qualifying providers under this advanced APM. One will be the MA program, again, not until 19, but in 18, they're proposing an MA demonstration. Can you explain that? So they did propose um, basically allowing instead of they recognize that the current models are really just Medicare focused and I believe they received several requests and proposals from commenters that asked about potentially doing a demonstration model that was just focused on Medicare Advantage yes. and if that could qualify um, as this advanced APM and and in a CMS actually. I guess at this point was saying, okay, we think we could find a model that would meet these qualifications. Let's, um, while they didn't provide a lot of specifics in the actual final mm -hmm. rule, they said we will be off open to offering a demonstration at this point in time um, to look at if an a Medicare Advantage demo would be able to sort of meet the, the requirements. And so that's definitely a, a big advance forward for CMS. They were strictly focused on Medicare, traditional fee-for-service Medicare, and, you know, sort of Medicare arrangements. And now we're at least considering other payers, especially the MA demo, I think is a, a good um, step forward for them. We'll have to see exactly the details of this demonstration and how quickly providers can work uh, with them to sort of qualify potentially for it in 2018. But I do think people within the MA space have been asking for this for some time, so they should be ready to sort of work with CMS at this stage to, to potentially join these models. Yes, great. In fact, MA providers wanted an opportunity to get into this for the obvious reason, the 5% bonus, but they would have had to wait till 19. Now they may be able to play in 18. Uh, so we'll see how the demo looks. CMS, you're right, in the final rule didn't give much regarding details as to how it would work. Uh, so that remains to be seen. I will say this, uh, just to note that there is a MA value-based insurance inside demonstration, which interestingly, CMS just expanded. Uh, in 19, it'll go to 25 states. However, in, um, and in 18, it will be expanded to 10 currently. It's uh, in theory in seven states, although currently only uh, six or eight MA plans in three states are, are participating. So it remains to be seen if there's anemic participation by MA in the demo, will MA get ginned up and the providers participating in MA 
in this 18 um, advanced APM MA mm -hmm. demonstration, so we'll see. Let me ask, um, there's been a, a great deal of, of discussion um, by MedPAC, uh, the Medicare Payment Advisory Commission, for over the past year. They've been looking at trying to reinvent MIPS. They don't actually see it as uh, producing results. In fact, I'll read you two uh, quotations in their August comment letter. They said, quote, unquote, we are concerned that the resulting MIPS system is one that will result in arbitrary payment adjustments with little or no relationship to value. And then a staffer during the November meeting stated more bluntly, MIPS, he said, quote, unquote, will create the illusion of doing something while actually accomplishing very little. So uh, CMS um, has been under a fair amount of MedPAC criticism on implementing macro MIPS, and we expect MedPAC to make its MIPS recommendations in January or when they meet next. What's your general sense of, of MedPAC's uh, work? Um, I will, do you, so, for example, do you think Congress will be attentive at all? Because obviously MedPAC makes their recommendations to the Congress. Well, there definitely has been discussion about concern with MACRA, especially MIPS. And so I think, you know, MedPAC is engaged on that and basically saying exactly what a major problem with the program is, is that they're just basically using the same exact measures from the previous programs and repackaging them. Nothing's really new here. And so the MedPAC proposal is really asking for them to move forward and create measures that are more outcome-based. Mm -hmm. um, so measures that would, you know, focus on preventable admissions or emergency department visits, other things like patient experience or healthy days at home. Yes. They're sort of the measures they're focused on. So that would be a huge change in the program. And so I think Congress is receptive to this idea of we need to move away and move towards value away from fee-for-service, and does MIPS really do that for us? Uh, Congress is also, I think, um, concerned that there's a lack of these APMs. When they passed MACRA, they really thought that there would be two tracks, and those two tracks would be equal, the MIPS and APMs tracks. But what we're seeing from CMS's regulations are everyone is really in MIPS, and only a few participants are really in the advanced APM model. So Congress is definitely looking for ways to change the program to sort of move more people into those advanced models. So if I think MedPAC sort of highlights a way to do that, Congress would be interested. Now, given the current state in Congress, do I think anyone wants to talk legislation on MACRA at this stage? No. But I do think these proposals are likely to continue and may influence what the, the, the program looks like in the future. Yeah, I'd agree, and, and per your comment about the provider community relative to MA participation, I think they're not very pleased with their choices under the models that are available to them. And as you know, uh, the PTACs made recommendations on testing some other models or additional models, and CMS has not been receptive uh, to that. While we're, at, while we're on the Congress, I have to ask before, we're, before we time out, what, I'll just ask this very generally, what do you see the Congress, now of course it's an election year uh, coming up, do you see the Congress taking any serious look or making any serious effort at Medicare reform? So I know there's been discussion of that, especially from Speaker Paul Ryan, yes. that they were going to turn turn to entitlement reform again. In my opinion, I, I really don't see them wanting to do that now that the um, uh, the Alabama Senate race has sort of 
elected and narrowed the the margin in the Senate, mm-hmm. I really don't think they're going to want to tackle again trying to do these broad entitlement reforms. Um, I I would take sort of their victory within the tax bill to to repeal the individual mandate as as their sort of step forward in health care and not sort of try to then to do comprehensive reform. But changing things have happened, and so I would never count it out. I definitely think it's a thing to watch, and there's still many moving pieces, both related to to MIPS, MACRA, and advanced APM. So I definitely think, you know, this is still an area that there will be plenty of congressional hearings and other actions, if not, you know, actual legislation that may change. You're right. I was going to say this, the repeal of the individual mandate will likely be their high watermark, although you might, from other point of view, call it their low watermark. Um, in any event, um, I appreciate your time, uh, Kristen. We are at our time boundary, so genuinely appreciate your time in this overview of very uh, weedy regulatory policy uh, under macro. We'll see. Maybe we can talk again later uh, in this coming year to see how this is going. But I, for now, uh, thank you again for your time. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.